Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. And I just want to start off by telling you a little bit about something that used to happen in my family when I was growing up. So at Christmas time, uh, when the wider family would get together, um, what would happen is we'd take it in turns at Christmas to dress up as Santa to hand out uh, the presents. So we'd have this whole routine where the person who was um, going to be Santa would say, uh, I'm just popping to the toilet, and they'd leave the room. Um, we'd all be like, oh, here we go. Um, then they'd go upstairs. I often played this role, dress up. We had a proper beard. We had the wig. We had the red hat, the full costume. Um, and then they'd reappear with the bags full of the presents. Uh, and their job was to give out the presents. Everyone would take the presents. And then they'd leave the room quickly get changed, come back in and pretend they were disappointed that they'd miss Santa. And we'd all say, oh, you miss Santa. I can't believe you miss Santa. Um, so that's what we used to do. And you know what it's like, these kinds of traditions? They're quite treasured, aren't they? We, we value our traditions. And we thought it was great. Fast forward a few years and I met Lizzie. And Lizzie came to the family and got to have the privilege of sharing in that tradition. And I can remember her first Christmas with us. Um, I, think, I don't think I was dressed up as Santa that year, but the tradition of handing out presents was as, as it has always been. But Lizzie, I was, I was thinking Lizzie's going to really love this, but Lizzie was horrified. She was absolutely disgusted. <laughs> she didn't mind the way the presents were given out. She wasn't bothered about whoever was dressing up as Santa and that whole, oh, you missed, you missed Santa. She didn't mind that, but she hated uh, the way we opened the presents because it was absolute chaos. What would happen was this. Uh, Even before Santa had finished giving out the gifts, we were ripping open those presents, chucking the wrapping paper on the floor, racing to the next present, opening it up, chucking the wrapping paper on the floor. We're all, it was every man for himself, opening those presents. Um, And no one was noticing what anyone else was doing. Now, we've been married nearly 16 years, and Lizzie has got the whole of my wider family trained properly in the way of opening (laughs) gifts. We each, Santa still does come, uh, we each take it in turns to open the presents one by one, making sure we all celebrate the present and turn turn to the person who gave that gift, and every single one says, oh, thank you so much, Auntie Barbara. Uh, I haven't got an Auntie Barbara, by the way. And uh, we all make sure we celebrate those gifts, we thank the person, and it's a much better experience for everyone involved. Well, today's passage focuses on how God has given us amazing gifts, but that we need to use them in the right way. Not in a chaotic or selfish way, but in a way that builds the church up, that helps other people. And we're also told not to forbid any of the gifts. They all need to be opened and used but there is a special mention for one gift in particular. And I want to encourage you to think about the gifts that God has given to you and how you can use them to build up the church. So I'm going to read the passage now. It's 1 Corinthians 14, and it's the whole of the chapter. So buckle in, make yourself comfortable. If you've got a Bible, have a look. Um, I'll probably need a drink of water after this. 
So 1 Corinthians 14. It says this. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I don't grasp the meaning of what someone's saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you're eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I'll sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who's now put in the position of an inquirer say, Amen, to your thanksgiving, since they don't know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they'll not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophesy, prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they're convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, Each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. 
And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. For if anyone ignores this, they themselves will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Okay, I'm just going to have a glass of water. Okay, is there anything in your life that you are eagerly desiring right now? Is there something that you're thinking about as you drift off to sleep in bed at night? Maybe even last night as you were lying there, what were you thinking about? Or is there something you were thinking, I really want that thing? Maybe you desperately want a better job. Maybe you want more money in your bank account, more friends, a good night's sleep, a healthier body, respect from other people, or to go on holiday somewhere hot. The list goes on. And in this part of the letter to the church in Corinth, the writer, uh, Paul, is urging the church to eagerly desire something, the gifts of the Spirit. And he specifically mentions one gift as being especially important, prophecy. And this passage talks a lot about prophecy. So I want to spend some time looking into what it means, because it's not a word we really hear in any other place, really, other than in the church. So I'll start off by giving a bit of context to prophecy in the Old Testament, because, you know, that appears a lot. um, And we can get sometimes confused by the differences. So in the Old Testament, the time before Jesus, prophecy was something that was only possible by a select special few. In fact, it was such a big deal that if, you, if somebody was a prophet, they often ended up getting their own book in the Bible. There's Isaiah, Daniel, Amos, Malachi, the list goes on. And they were nearly always men, although there were a few exceptions. It was a specific calling by God to deliver a message that they had received from God. Sometimes they were called seers because they could see, spiritually speaking, and they often predicted the future. And the test of a prophet in those times was you had to be 100% accurate in what you said. If the predictions didn't come true, then that person, that prophet, couldn't have been speaking for God because God never lies. And if there was a false prophet someone who wasn't speaking a true message from God or who was leading people to worship other so-called gods, someone who wasn't 100% accurate, the consequences were pretty severe. Deuteronomy 18 says, If any prophet dares to speak a message in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or to speak in the name of other gods, that prophet must be put to death. So um, pretty, pretty harsh. Not something we're applying today. 
So that, let's look at that. What is prophecy now? Since Jesus walked on earth, what is prophecy now? Well, we're told in the New Testament that one of the Holy Spirit's purposes is to empower all kinds of people to prophesy. Right at the start of the early church in the book of Acts, chapter 2, you might remember that scene, but Peter quotes an Old Testament prophet, Joel, when he says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So in the last days, as it says, that's the time we're in now, the time since Jesus walked on the earth, prophecy is not only for a special few. Prophecy is available for all followers of Jesus, although some people may be particularly gifted in it. And there's a few other differences too. If you look through the New Testament, you can see how prophecy works in the life of the church. So in Acts chapter 2, it happened by dreams and visions. In this part of the letter to the church in Corinth, it's described uh, as uh, a revelation that it happened when the church came together. And it seems to happen spontaneously, even to someone while they're sat down, it says, as, as someone is sat down. And what does it look like? I sometimes wonder, what, do they, what does prophecy look like um, nowadays according to what the Bible says? Well, this part of this letter gives us a really good glimpse. Um, you can run through, you can see in verse 3, it describes prophecy as something that strengthens, encourages, and comforts people. In verse 31, it says prophecy is something that instructs. It says in verse 4 that it edifies the church. So prophecy today is good for the people of the church. And later on in verse 24, it says that it can lead people to be convicted of sin as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, leading them to worship God. And if you look through other parts of the New Testament, you can see other examples of how prophecy is uh, at work in people's life. Uh, Maybe you remember Timothy. He was one of the young leaders of the church. Paul wrote to him and uh, encouraged him to draw strength and encouragement from the prophetic words that had previously been spoken to him. And Paul himself was warned by other people who'd received uh, dreams about what was going to happen to him in certain places. So as I was looking through all this, I was thinking, looking at how it works in the, Old, in the New Testament, I was thinking, I need an example. I need an example of prophecy today that we can all relate to. I was thinking, what, what could it be? I was thinking, we're going to be sat here in the Oasis Center. I'm going to be talking about prophecy, need an example about prophecy. And then it clicked. And I was thinking, the very building that we are sat in right now is an example of fulfilled prophecy. Um, And so I I phoned Vic Armstrong and Andy, and I had a chat with them to make sure I got the detail right. Many of you will know this story far better than I, but I'll, I'll share that with you in case you don't know. More than 15 years ago, Vic Armstrong was stood out there on the main road, on Hyde Road, and she said that she looked across at the old bank, an old derelict bank that was pretty much right where we're sat right now. Yeah. So she looked at this old bank, and she said that she prayed to God as she looked across the road, and she said, Lord, how wonderful it would be if the Oasis Center could be on this site where the old bank is, if we could have that building. And then she said that out of the blue, as she was looking across the road, she felt God say 
that he was going to give her, going to give the Oasis Centre that building for one pound. Now that's pretty random, right? That's, uh, yeah. And, and it really affected her. She told lots of people. Um, many people here, did many people here remember her saying, I think God's going to give me the bank for a pound? I don't know if people remember her saying that. She said some people she told, I'm sure not here, but some people here um, perhaps dismissed her, said, oh, come on, Vic, being a bit super spiritual. I think someone said, oh, not, oh Vic, you always do this, you know, being the spiritual language. But less than four years ago, that exact thing happened. The Oasis Centre got the building for one pound. I mean, a hundred pound, that would have been great. A thousand pound, 50,000 pound, that would be a bargain. But one pound, one pound. And that then allowed them to build this building that you can see today, um, which is incredible, isn't it? That's a, a prophecy, that's a, a revelation, something that came to Vic. Seems crazy, but actually came true. Um, so I talked to Vic and Andy to check the details, and they, they wanted, well, part of the conversation, they warned that just because you've received a prophecy, it doesn't mean it's going to be an easy ride. It doesn't mean, great, I'll just sit tight and wait for that thing to happen. Um, if you think about Joseph in the Old Testament, remember how he had those dreams when he was a young man? Um, but it took a long time for those dreams to come true. And on, on that journey, he ended up in prison, as you probably remember, and lots of other uh, difficult things happened. And you think about Timothy, uh, as I mentioned before, one of the young leaders of the church. He'd had prophecies, but he was having a tough time. He was being encouraged to think back to those prophecies to encourage him. And on a more everyday scale, um, when we were here as church a few weeks ago, Fliss and Mike had some, a friend who was visiting. Um, I'd never spoken to them before, but they came up to me um, after the service to say that um, they felt something had been revealed to them about me and my circumstances. Uh, so I don't even know what her name is. And What was it? Karis. Karis, if you're listening, thank you. Karis... Uh, spoke to me and she encouraged me by talking about how God is responsible, that, that he has prepared the way, that he would give me real peace, and she talked about a new season. What she didn't know was that I'm facing massive changes at work, that my job no longer exists, and that the very next day I had a very significant meeting. So her words really encouraged me. In fact, not just the words, but the fact that God would prompt her to speak to me on that day of all days. And uh, I actually checked with Fliss because I was like, maybe Mike and Fliss told her everything about me. <laughs> so I texted Fliss and said, just out of interest, did you chat to your friend before he came to church about me? Uh, as I'm sure you all do. Um, <laughs> but uh, Fliss assured me that no, I wasn't the topic of conversation in their house that weekend. So yeah, another example. Uh, but similar to the Old Testament prophecies, we are called to test prophecies. We're called to weigh them up. But what should we do if they don't come to pass? Or if they don't appear to be true? Well, the Bible seems to say nothing. We don't call them a false prophet. We don't stone them to death. And the New Testament uh, guidance on this is much more generous. And I think the reason for that is because we're not claiming when we come with a prophecy now that our prophecies are completely perfect, without error, 100% what the Lord's mouth has, has uttered. That's not where we're operating. And that's how the Old Testament prophets were. There is a difference. 
So how can you eagerly desire this gift of prophecy, which we're told to do? I think one thing we can do is we can pray for it. Just pray and ask God, Lord, give me the gift of prophecy. We can pray with other people for it. We can ask other people uh, to be praying with us for that. I think um, one really good way to explore this gift and how it can work in our lives is to sign up or go along to the school of ministry uh, that Vic leads. And we've actually got leaflets at the back door or, or as, you, as you go out. So if you want to find out more about that, that's one Saturday a month in the morning, free of charge, free refreshments. Correct. Yeah. And, and part of that is looking at prophecy as well as other gifts of the Spirit. So do, do consider doing that. So there's a lot in this part of this letter to the church in Corinth that we could look at. So far, we've looked at prophecy and how we're encouraged to eagerly desire it. There's that rather awkward reference to women staying silent in the church. Uh, I thought I could just breeze past that and you'd all just go, oh, that's a bit weird. Uh, and then we'd move on. But I thought I just need to make one mention of that. Um, so we don't have time to go into that right now. We'll leave that to Tim. Tim can do that perhaps as a special, <laughs> special one. But just to say that earlier in this letter to this very same church in chapter 11, Paul, the writer, does talk about women when they pray and when they prophesy in the church. So there is more to this than meets the eye. And I don't believe this is a verse we need to uh, apply literally as it is. Otherwise, I think the church would be quite quiet uh, if uh, only males could, could speak while we're in this building. Um, but another big theme seems to be in this letter, in this section, about how we need to use whatever gifts we have to build the church up, we, to edify the church, to do the church good. Um, I'll just tell you about something that I think illustrates uh, something relating to this point, which is when I was 20, I was doing a training course in journalism. And uh, every day I went to a class to learn something called shorthand. Now, I don't know if you know what shorthand is, but it's uh, a way of writing incredibly quickly uh, in a kind of code. And journalists use it when they're interviewing people um, to make sure they capture all the information at speed. So I, uh, day after day, went to these really boring lessons, learning how to write really fast and then doing these exercises at home, listening to people talk about random nonsense. But I eventually proudly passed my exam, writing at 100 words a minute. That's it. That, isn't that impressive? Isn't that impressive? No, no, please, please, please. Um, but, so I had this incredible skill. Um, and then a few years later, I started working um, in an unrelated, nothing to do with journalism, but working in an office. But I never used my shorthand. I never used it. In fact, I'd be in meetings writing in the normal way um, because I thought, if people know that I know how to do shorthand, they're going to ask me to write stuff all the time in these meetings. I'm going to be the minute taker. I'm going to be, oh, there's Tom, he, writes, he does all the minutes. He writes things up because he can write really fast. So I didn't. So I never used it. Um, I didn't want that, and I didn't feel confident. What if I wrote in this special shorthand code, and then I had no idea what it said afterwards? So I kept it quiet. I didn't use that skill, and I didn't tell anyone that I had it. And I wonder if any of us have become like that at church. Perhaps we have a particular gift. Maybe it's that we have faith, healing, tongues, administration, prophecy, or any of the others. But for some reason... We've sat on it. We've decided not to use it. 
perhaps we don't feel confident. So I want to really encourage you to use your gift. This church has been really blessed in the past few years in the way that it's grown in number. But we want to grow in other ways too. And the church needs you. We need you to build us up, to do us good. So eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. So we've talked about the gift of prophecy in particular and how we should use the gifts God has given us to do the church. But this bit of the letter is also very clear that there should be some kind of order to the way we use our gifts. This church in this place called Corinth, it sounds like it was more like my family Christmas get-togethers. So Paul's telling them they need to take it in turns, not all speak at once, to focus on the gifts that benefit the church most. And it's some really practical advice. You know, he's saying about you sit down and you do this, you do this. It's really, really practical. So what does it mean for us? Because I don't think we tend to shout over each other here with prophecies. We don't have Vic standing up, starting prophesying, and then Lizzie's like, no, 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 I want to say something. It's not, we don't, I don't think that's a problem that we're currently struggling with. But perhaps we've got the opposite challenge. Maybe we need to nurture one another. Maybe we need to encourage one one another, to use those gifts or to develop, to discover and develop those gifts that we've been given. For some, you need to be encouraged to pray more for others. Perhaps you have the gift of healing or, as it's worded here, miraculous powers. Or maybe you've been given a message of wisdom or knowledge. Or maybe you've got a gift of faith. Maybe you can distinguish between spirits, speak in tongues or interpret tongues. Or maybe it's administration, which is alongside those. Or perhaps you don't know. So I want us to pray now to ask God to show us if there's any gifts that he's given us that we've hidden or we've left unused. Or maybe you've got a gift but you're afraid to use it or you don't know how or where. And just to say, these gifts that it talks about in the scriptures that, we talk, that we've mentioned, that Lizzie mentioned a few weeks ago, these gifts aren't restricted to be used only between 10 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. every Sunday. So I want God to show you how you can start to exercise those gifts. Or... Maybe you sat here now thinking, I haven't got a clue what gift God has given me. So I pray that you'd start to see what that might be. And maybe you could start to ask God, to pray to God for a specific gift. So I want to end by reminding ourselves what these gifts are for. They're they're to do the church good. That's why, we have, that's why we have these gifts. That's why we're encouraged to use these gifts to do the church good. But what is the church for? It's for Jesus to glorify him and show the world how good he is, the giver of all these gifts. He's the one who gave us life. He keeps our lungs filling with air. He keeps our heart beating. And he's the one who gave his very self by dying on a cross for you and me so that we could be 
forgiven so that we could be made clean and right with God. Because you and I don't always eagerly desire the things of God. And yet he eagerly desires you and me.